Welcome to the Hired by Passion podcast. I'm your host, Marcel Richard, and I will be interviewing artists and entrepreneurs on how they were able to escape the 9 to 5 and turn their passion into an income. Hello, and thanks for choosing to listen to the Hired by Passion podcast. My guest today is none other than the creator of Jeff's musical car, Jeff Boudreaux. Jeff was born in Bathurst, New Brunswick, and was always a huge supporter of the local music scene. After moving to Moncton to begin a career in video and TV production, Jeff became more involved in the Moncton music scene. This eventually led to the first episode of Jeff's musical car being released in 2012. Since then, Jeff's musical car has released over 200 videos featuring artists from all over the world. He's won three East Coast Music Award and two Music New Brunswick Awards. And the series continues to grow in popularity. So without further ado, here is Jeff Boudreaux. Thanks a lot for agreeing to come on the, this call with me to record a podcast interview for uh, my new podcast. No problem. What I'm trying to do is to interview people who are doing creative work and see how they got into it. And, and I'm trying to establish a way of how can somebody make a living out of their creative venture. You're kind of on the road to it. And I think that's important as well, because a lot of people who are going to be listening are going to be in that position, right, on the road of trying to make a living in their creative venue. So I imagine if the Jeff musical car was good enough to for you to make a living out of it, you'd be interested in that. Yeah, but I, I actually, I do work in television, so okay. it's kind of in the same thing, but I just kind of branched out into something I wanted to do uh, away from work, but I've been working in TV for 15 years. So. Okay, cool. I, I see that you're a producer at uh, Rogers TV. Mm-hmm. Do you find it was a natural transition to go into this project or like that you were always kind of interested in producing some kind of a media content or a visual content like that? It was just a natural extension to what you wanted to do or does it grow from further down the road when you were younger? that you wanted to kind of get into this? Well, I, I was always big in music, that's for sure. And working in television, always being around videos and making TV, sometimes you just, you kind of need to get that project that makes it fun again. I enjoy my work, but sometimes you, you do anything for 15 years, you're going to start to kind of feel the uh, the same thing feeling. So I decided like, oh, I should do a little side project that I could just kind of do on my own, something that wouldn't be too time consuming. But I knew a lot of musician friends and then this kind of just came about and what turned out to be something that I thought might turn into four or five episodes. It's been going for almost three years now. So so where did the inspiration originally come from for Jeff's musical car? It started one day in the summer of 2012 and uh, I was driving around with my son and we were listening to music in the car and he started singing along to a Ramon song, which I thought was awesome because he was only two years old. So I turned my, my GoPro, I had one in the front like facing out. So I decided to spin it, the film inside the car and brought the footage home, put it on Facebook and people really liked it. And at that same moment, one of my old friends from Bathurst, Crystal Kirk, uh, asked me about some venues and just getting into the music scene in Moncton. And then all of a sudden, those two things kind of connected to me. And I can't exactly remember the moment, but I said, do you want to play a song in my backseat and we can make a video out of it? And the rest is history. So was it once you had your son singing that you're wow, this is a good idea? Or it's once you did that one episode, you're like, wow, I'm on to something here i want to do this some more yeah I, th- i think as soon as i put it on on facebook and on youtube the reaction from people was was crazy it, it was just getting shared all over the place and it was probably only after my third or fourth video that i got a call which really surprised me from cbc radio that wanted to do a interview with me on information warning and as soon as that interview happened then 
I basically did the whole gamut of TV station interviews with Global, CBC, CTV. So at that point, people were seeing it on TV more and it just kept growing. And, and really, I've always kind of wondered if when it would peak and I'm always getting more uh, YouTube subscribers, more Facebook likes, and it just keeps growing and growing. So hopefully it keeps going. So why do you think everybody hopped on the wagon so quickly? You know, you said it was within, you know, your first few episodes that people really started noticing. Do you, do you attribute that to anything? Well, I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. It's it's a tough business being a musician and any venue you can use, any medium to get people to listen to your music for the first time, most of them will take it. And I've, I've heard stories from musicians say, I have people come up to my show and say, I saw you, your Jeff's musical car video and I seen you were in town. Like those are kind of the moments that just makes you make me realize that's why I'm doing this. What do you think attracted your audience from the get-go? Well, I think it's just a, a fun concept. People get to see how a musician can play in a really raw setting, no auto and it's just straight up. If you're good, you're going to sound good. And if you can't sing, well, you're going to be exposed. And <laughs> especially if there's a band with five people squished in there, it's it's really fun to just see them, how they can actually still pull that off. Sometimes with the next guitar of the guitarist hanging out the window. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think it's, it's a mix of discovering music. And I think the setting just, just adds a whole different element to it that people like. So were you always a good Tetris player? Like, did that come into play where you had to really find places to make instrument fits in the back of your car? <laughs> there's, there's definitely been a few full stand-up bass when I was... Uh, starting off and I had my Grand Am, it basically went from the back window to the front window <laughs> with the Olympic Symphonium. I'm amazed that they even got it in there. I thought they were joking. And then all of a sudden I seen them putting my seat down and trying to squish it in there. <laughs> and But yeah, there's been a lot of times where we're just trying to figure out how it works. A lot of times uh, it, it helps if one of the guitarists is left-handed and the other one is a righty because then you can kind of cross guitar necks. But how often does that happen? Like, Well, most of my videos videos end up just being kind of the singer songwriter thing but there's been a few of them where we had to kind of position ourselves sideways and <laughs> So did your vision for the show change from the start to, to where it is now? Not a whole lot. I, I always have this kind of uh, concept of if it's not broken, don't fix it. I think people like it and I don't want to make it too long. I've actually probably made my interviews just a little bit shorter. I think around six or seven minutes is kind of the optimal time for a YouTube video. People don't really want to sit there on their phones, use up all their data for a 12 or 15 minute video. So I try to basically just get a nice little little interview, a couple jokes in there and one song and that's about it. There is a different science into finding out what the audience is willing to listen to and how long they're willing to listen to as well because everybody keeps their time precious and, and rightfully so. So they're looking for good value for their time. So having a, a seven minute video is harder to share than a three minute video, which is, you know, easier than a one hour video, right? So it's a, so to find your right balance, did you play around a lot with, with different times and notice that there was a considerable difference? difference in longer videos or shorter videos? Well, actually on YouTube, there's some really helpful statistics. If you go into your, your dashboard and your settings, and it's actually quite helpful. You can see how long people on average watch the certain video, which countries they're being viewed from, how long, uh, which videos have the most like audience retention, like anywhere from which ones have more likes to dislikes. You can kind of start figuring out, okay, I guess my audience is more of a certain genre, maybe country or rock and maybe not as much as certain things. So if you really pay attention to that, you can 
guide how you want to uh, go forward. So do you let that influence you a lot in uh, in picking who you want to have on your show? Not necessarily. I've always kind of went with artists that I just, I personally am a fan of. A lot of times there are musicians that they, maybe they'd be good and they do have their own following, but I'm not really into them. So when it comes down to me, like taking a few hours off and editing this video and using my gas money. Sometimes I'm a little more selective than I used to be because I do have a lot more options now. How do you find your guests? I've noticed that or I've seen that people have been starting to ask you to be on your show. So what kind of mix is it that people are asking you versus you reaching out to people to be on your show? It's, it's actually quite a reversal. When I started, obviously, no one really knew what I was doing. So it was a lot more of me sending out emails. I got this new idea of a show. Do you want to be on it? But now it's actually quite the opposite. It actually surprises me. I'll be sitting at home and all of a sudden I'll get this email and this guy will say, um, we're from this band from Calgary or from Vancouver. We're going to be traveling through Moncton playing Plan B in two months. Do you think we could do a video? <laughs> Those videos are kind of cool because then you actually know that there was probably a guest from that area that they did a shoot and word kind of spreads within the musician uh, circles. So those are always kind of neat. I've seen that you were trying to get big names like a ACDC this summer and a You've mentioned on an article that you wanted to get a Blue Rodeo or um, Tragically Hit when they were in Moncton. So trying to get those bigger names don't seem like they panned out. How did you deal with that? Like, did you, are you just going to continue knocking on these doors? Or oh, yeah, there's there's been a lot of big ones that I have had the chance to get. The Trues was an awesome episode. And it, like when I what I usually do is I'll kind of see which casino shows are coming through, and then I'll just fire off a bunch of emails because I guess the worst answer is no. So even if one in every eight people uh, accept an invitation then fine and maybe uh, the next time they come around maybe they'll know someone that did a shoot with me and then they'll be like oh okay I'll do that but what I find interesting is that local names have a lot of popularity on your show like you, you see Caroline Savoy is your number one downloaded and then you get Steve Leblanc who's also uh, high up on the rankings and I find personally that the shows that I've seen has that local flavor that seems to be interesting these bands don't necessarily have a voice or a place where they can you know be seen or be shown and, and people enjoy seeing that and that's kind of the niche that uh, you address right yeah exactly uh Moncton and New Brunswick I'm I'm from Bathurst so I'm not going to just say Moncton but uh bands from the east coast are are always going to be my priority to try to get them out there but one thing I have been noticing is a lot of the ones that I've done in my first year they're they're really picking up steam and starting to get more popular so I'm kind of anxious to see in maybe 10 years how many people that I did shoots with might be uh, living in Toronto or LA and moving on to bigger better things so it'd be kind of neat to be one of the uh, first viewings that people have seen in some of these artists that make it big for sure no it is definitely interesting to see and I have high hopes on Caroline Savoy there I'm, I'm thinking she's gonna make it big there I had her a few times yeah. on my show and I, I find she's a really interesting girl and uh, I love her singing, so hopefully... Uh, She's out there in New York right now recording, so... She is, so you might get your wish there to see where, uh, yeah. you know, where they can lead up to be. When you watch your episodes, do you find that you f see that evolution from your first episodes to your last? Like, when you watch your first, or if you rewatch your first episodes, do you cringe a bit, or...? Well, I mean, ever since I've been working in TV, I always use everything I do as a learning experience. Yeah. Uh, just this weekend, I did live TV for the first time interviewing hockey players, and the first thing I did was 
episodes recorded, come home, watch it, and you get to see it from the other point of view. And I think that's true for any job. But when I do my musical carvids, I can see there are some episodes in the early days which may not have been as good, but there's also some recent ones that could be like that too. It just depends on a lot of factors. There's some artists that really aren't as chatty. There's just some that they're just so easygoing and you kind of get on the same wavelength of them that you can just kind of wing it, like alert the medic. I could do probably 10 shoots in a row with those guys and it'll just be entertaining all the time. Yeah, I'm a big fan of those guys. So you said that you're kind of, you don't want to change something that seems to be working, but do you have like an, an end goal or somewhere you'd like to bring the show? Um, I think the end goal, like I'm, I'm just doing this for fun. I don't make any money. I don't really plan on it because I just, for seven minute videos, it doesn't really have a promising TV future or anything. But what I would like to happen is this to be kind of a staple for any band coming to the East Coast. So then you would get like Sarah McLaughlin's and Serena Riders coming through and be like, oh, I, I didn't do my uh, just musical car video. <laughs> so I'd love to get it to the point because for me, it's all about meeting the artists, discovering new music. And it'd be great to maybe even one day go and contact some record labels in Toronto or Montreal and have them fly me out there and do shoots with all their artists. Like you never know, stuff like that. You are getting recognized, right? You got some ECMAs for a best media outlet and a media person of the year. Yeah, music and me too. So how does it feel to get that recognition? Did you probably weren't, were you thinking about that when you started at all or? Not at all. That was actually one of those moments you just kind of don't think you'll ever forget there. Winning the ECMAs, it was kind of surreal. You see your, your name on the screen and then called up. The first time surprised me, but the second time was like one of those ones I was just expecting to hear a different name and then they called me up again. And then, I don't know, it's just, it was kind of one of those moments when you feel like you made it. Like I, I didn't think there was really much more further that I could do. And ECMA is pretty uh, prestigious in oh, Atlantic Canada. So for me to win this, just from coming up with my own YouTube show on the side, competing with, there was a uh, global and some network TV shows and some quality radio stations winning against them was, was just a, a pretty proud moment. Oh, definitely. It's validating that your concept is good, right? That there's sure. a, there's a need for this and there's a reason for it to be there. And maybe that's why that it really right off the bat, it gained steam is because there was a need for this kind of show that you're filling, right? Yeah. And I think a good thing on my side, when I do these is I, I cover so many bases. I, I'm not just sticking to a specific genre. I'm doing uh, videos with English musicians, French musicians, uh, ones from all over the world. It doesn't matter. So uh, I think uh, the spectrum of what I can cover, it kind of beats out a maybe a radio station or even a TV station that they might not be able to get some of those artists that might have a lot more swearing or a little more controversial. I can one week have a, a kid's musician like Scotty and the Stars and then the next week have the Cauldron Project who, who you wouldn't want to let your five-year-old listen to, but they're still pretty awesome. <laughs> If we go look at your process on how one of these episodes are done, like do you have like a routine? Because you have a full-time job and you have to be working on this part-time. So did you establish some routines that were keyed in, into managing your time to get these done? One thing I, I learned early on is to pace myself and not try to do too many at once because it's not just when you're hosting, it's an easier thing when you all you have to concentrate about is content. But I find when you're kind of the technical guy and you're hosting, as soon as I start driving, I'm not just thinking about what I'm going to ask next. I'm thinking, is this road going to be too bumpy? Did I remember to turn my cameras on? Is he too far from the mic? There's a lot of things going through my head. And sometimes during my interview, I'll kind of lose my train of thought because I'm thinking of the technical side. I think through the years, I've kind of gotten over that. I can concentrate a bit more on the guest 
guests, but I try to do a bit of research beforehand. And one thing that's kind of neat now is a lot of the artists, they'll send me either uh, an electronic press kit or a CD so I can listen to it for a few weeks before I meet them, which really helps so I can get a good feel of their music and really know the songs. So stuff like that, it helps me and, and it helps them in, in the end because they get a better final product. And so do I. So how do you lay out, say you, you have someone to have on your show, you send him a message, he says he wants to do it, says I'm ready to do it this day. So how do you work around getting it done? Well, noon hour is usually good for me. I'll do I'll do them on my lunch hour because really they only take about 20 minutes to shoot. Uh, another time is like sometimes on a Sunday or whatever. That's the beauty of email. You can keep, keep on going back and forth until you find a time that works. I'm do, like, for example, tomorrow I'm doing one with Joy Robin Hashe. So I work at one o'clock. So I said, hey, do you want to meet me? Plan B, 12 o'clock tomorrow. He's like, sure, then easy as that. So the 20 minutes it takes to record, how much time do you spend in post after that? Well, as soon as I get home, I always upload all my clips to my computer. Just I feel safer once it's on the hard drive. Yeah, so definitely. I don't delete over it. Then I kind of edit them in sequence of how I shot them. Sometimes I'll end up with so many episodes that I'm almost four months behind. So I'm just kind of doing my one a week. I'm starting to get caught up now. So I'll be uh, probably doing a lot more shooting next month to kind of get a backlog before winter hits. But the process, once I start editing from scratch, I'd say probably takes me about an hour and then I export it and then upload it to YouTube, which I don't really count for time because I can do whatever. But I'd say a good hour. I'm pretty quick at it now. Did that improve? Like, what, did it take you much longer in the first episodes than it does now? Yeah, but for the last two years, I've been pretty consistent at about an hour. So all in all, I guess you're saying it's just a few hours a week to get your show done. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because I'll sometimes I'll have a day when it's Sunday, nothing planned, and I'll kind of just be wanting to go down to my editing room and be like, oh, maybe I can start my next episode because I remember do, doing that uh, the interview and that band was so good and I kind of can't wait. So I guess as long as it stays fun for me, I'll just keep doing it. So what would you say was the biggest help into growing your audience? Uh, well, social media is huge. I think a big part is just using everything you can. I used um, Facebook was the obvious choice at first. And then I started uh, using Twitter more. I had no idea how it worked. And once I figured it out, it's it's huge. Like getting retweets and building a, a fan base and having videos shared on Twitter is, is just as big as on Facebook and then Instagram and whatever. Like you just have to use everything. I've always felt personally that Twitter was not that popular in Canada. You know, people out here seem to use more Facebook, but am, am I wrong? So how, in what way do you find that Twitter helped uh, increase your audience as much as Facebook? Uh, one example is when I won the uh, ECMAs the first time, the East Coast Music Association sent out a tweet and they had my name on it. Then it showed up for me and I retweeted and then all of a sudden and people just started retweeting it. Like, I think it probably got 20 to 30. And then every time someone retweets it, your name pops up on their thing and they're like, oh, I know that. And then they check it out. And on my uh, main profile page, I have a link to my website. So I bet some of them probably go to the website and then they see the videos. And Did you notice a spike in your numbers once you got the, the nomination and the win for the ECMAs? Mm -hmm. Big time. So do you look at your metrics a lot? Like how many people listen to your show and things like that? Yeah, I uh, keep track. Whenever I started, I was averaging about, I don't know, maybe a thousand views a month, which I was pretty happy about then. And I think now I'm averaging anywhere. It depends if I have like a really big video, but um, usually averaging about 5,000 to 6,000 views a month, like between all my videos. Would you think about monetizing your channel? Like, is that something that you'd be looking to do in the future? Or I thought about it at first and in, in actuality, 
you need like so many views to make it even worthwhile. And then I just started thinking about with music, it's kind of a different beast. And I didn't want to end up in situations where a band would get big. And then all of a sudden they're saying, well, you're making money off my videos and maybe risk having videos pulled down. So I figured this way, I just do the videos and leave it at that. Okay. There's no legal waivers and all that. We're just having fun. and Exactly. Like here's the video. And it's kind of cool because there are actually some musicians where their song, like YouTube will find their song and they'll know it's theirs. So if you ever see a video that has an ad, it means that all the ad click revenue goes to the artist, which is pretty cool. That's kind of interesting to do. Well, yeah, I guess it because you, you name it, the you're going to name the artist, although you probably don't name the song that they play. Uh-huh. So- it, it actually knows that it's kind of a crazy thing on uh, on YouTube, but I've noticed that even when I do a wedding video, it'll just automatically pop up for all the ones. And it says you can use this even though it's copyrighted, but the revenue goes to the artist. It's a, it's a good way for um, musicians and there's actually musicians raking in a ton of money this way because uh, people get to use their music for whatever the projects they're doing. And in return, like they're getting the the ad revenue from clicks. So it's a win-win. I'd much prefer that than videos where the, all of a sudden they say, you can't use my song and they delete your video. Like, Yeah, definitely. No, I've, I've noticed that for, I filmed my friends playing a cover song and uh, I, I put it up to YouTube and YouTube said, this is a copyrighted song. It was a, I wear my sunglasses at night there. And it was like, you know, it's just three guys playing it on the guitar, but it did pick up that it wasn't, but I named it. I wear my sunglasses at night though. So yeah. I, I thought, you don't even have to, Okay, it'll, it'll just know from the, uh, there's probably ways it can measure the tempo and the lyrics and match it. It's pretty crazy. I've actually did some tests with it. And if you slow down your music 20% or more, then I can't detect it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that is interesting. So what would you say would the biggest roadblock to getting your show done would have been? Well, I mean, at first I started off with one camera and everyone was suggesting like, oh, you should definitely have one in the back. So at first I was just kind of scrambling to save up some money for a second GoPro. And <laughs> I guess one of the, the biggest roadblocks was when I landed, I lent one of my uh, cameras to my cousin to do a shoot at a hotel and I forgot to change the casing and it was an underwater shoot. So he uh, had like my, my camera case that had the holes in it for the sound and he put it in the water and then he texted me and right away as soon as I seen it he said there's something wrong with your camera I said oh no I gave you the wrong case oh, oh that hurts so, uh, I ended up going on eBay and ordering a replacement and I didn't really miss out on any videos because Luckily, at that point, I had my next three months already shot. So Wow. So you, you've been up that far ahead, three months ahead. That mm-hmm. Cool. So that's that's good that you're able to do that and kind of take a break, but yet still have the show go on. Yeah, it's, it's good for winter, although sometimes I feel funny putting videos where I'm sitting in shorts and a T-shirt and it's January. <laughs> Did anybody ever call you up on that? No, I think, well, I mean, I don't think anyone expects that it's like live or filmed that day kind of thing. And a lot of times the artists, they'll just put, here's a video we shot in August when we were on tour. And- Did you ever wonder, like uh, some people say that they have like imposter syndrome when they're wondering like, who am I to create this this thing here? But uh, you've seen to, right from the bat, seem to get recognition for it and seem to go well. Did you always feel fairly confident in what you were doing because of your experience maybe being a producer or... Yeah, I think that helped a lot. And just the fact that even before this, I, I had lots of musician friends. So as long as you kind of have that that support behind you that, you know, there are people that enjoy what you're doing, because it doesn't matter what you do. There'll be people that don't like it. But as long as you can focus on the ones that do, then you just keep doing it. 
Do you have any tips for someone who would want to start doing internet videos like that? I would say just go out and, and shoot it. One of the biggest uh, problems I notice is some people will say, oh, I have this cool idea of a video and I want to do this. And then it just ends there. And I think the key is you have that idea. You just have to do it. Even if maybe your idea is a little too ambitious and you're thinking Hollywood style, like just do it the best you can. Don't come up with an idea where you need to depend on 80 different people to uh, help you because they'll probably say at a party they're going to help you, but they're probably not. So just try to get a good base and do it yourself with maybe a few friends, you know, and try it out. And you're going to learn so much from that first video you do. And maybe two people watch it and that's it. And maybe the third person that watches it'll say, I really like this, but maybe if you did it this way and then you can kind of grow that way. That strikes home to me to just to go out and do it. It's something I need to, to think about and, and to do. So did you get feedback like that when you started out and was it helpful? Yeah, I got lots of feedback. And I think just being in my industry, I have uh, maybe a thicker skin than some people do. If someone would say something, I wouldn't take it negatively. A lot of times if I try to give someone constructive criticism, they'll take it personally thinking like, oh, you don't think I know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. But any any advice that I got, it, like not to say that everything they said I went with and everything I agreed with, but I enjoyed hearing a lot of feedback from people and it did help. Did you have any mentors that, that kind of helped you create this show or did you were kind of just experienced enough to be able to do by yourself? Well, I mean, the musicians itself were, the, were a big help for me. Just like when I started this, I was into music big time, but I was just kind of getting into the whole local scene and east coast music and it's kind of funny because after doing this three years i'm just i listen to so much east coast music it's almost 50 50 to what i would listen to with my cds and all that but as far as like mentors i mean just people that i've i went to college with and did videos with and and buddies that i can call up to have a beer and let's shoot this kind of funny video so there wasn't really one person that i modeled this after but kind of last question here i saw that maybe some talk about jeff's musical couch is that gonna happen or Yeah, I did one season. I did uh, 10 episodes. It was kind of a cool project. We shot it in front of a green screen. So I went down to play in B-Bar and I got some background shots of their stage. So I used that as the backdrop. And so that was a, that was a fun project. Is that going to continue? And how did you find, you know, you probably had more production money to do something like that. How did it feel? Did you, did you want to do that more or did you like what you were doing presently with your Just Musical Car? Um, I think the car thing was, was more suited for what I was doing. I, I liked the final product, but uh, it's not like I had any budget. So basically, I was still in the studio running two cameras by myself okay. and with a little mixer soundboard. So it turned out good, but I still think the the car thing was better than the coach. I, the green screen was really tricky because every time I would switch cameras, I needed to like adjust my background. So it made sense to whatever angle the camera was. It was a bit of a headache that way. When you told people, when you initially told people your idea for Just Musical Car, were people on board or you just kind of just did it? And then you asked, you know, people seemed to be on board afterwards. Um, there wasn't as much uh, people on board at first. I'd say that after, before I got my first 10 videos in, because people were kind of unsure. And I guess as a musician, you don't want to sound bad. I guess that was probably one of the big questions. Like, how am I going to sound driving around, bouncing around? And what kind of mics are these? And, and it took a while to kind of build that credibility, credibility. But I think it's like anything, the more you do it, the, the higher up musicians you get, you build credibility. I've had a few musicians come back to me, like even two years later and say, I'm really sorry, I never got back to you back then i just 
wasn't sure about it. I apologize, but I'd love to be on it now kind of thing. So. so that must feel good. How did you get past those uh, hesitations that musicians had at the start? I didn't let it bug me. Like uh, I just kind of uh, assumed that either they weren't interested or maybe later down the road they would. I think some of them probably felt uh, guilty to even ask again once I asked them before and they didn't reply. So. But I mean, like when they were kind of on board, but had these hesitations, was it easy enough to convince them that it was going to be all good? Or Yeah, like I think the, the easiest thing you can do is say like, look, let's shoot this uh, before we before I release it. I'll send you a private link. You can take a peek at it. And if you like it, that's what I do for a lot of the bigger bands, like um, ones that have record labels. They'll want to uh, see a copy of it before it goes out. And I'm always OK with that. There hasn't been one that watched it and said no. So it's good. Good record on you, right? Yeah. No, that really kind of goes around the, the questions I had that I wanted to ask you. I, I want to thank you for taking the time to come in and chat with me. Thanks a lot. No problem. And uh, yeah, just let me know when this is out. I will. Thank you. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the interview with Jeff Boudreaux. What stuck with me the most was the way Jeff created Jeff's musical car was by noticing that there wasn't really a place for emerging artists to be able to showcase their music. So that led to the creation of Jeff's musical car. A lot of times we're thinking of things and we just, we think about it too much. We just need to take action. So like he said, you just need to have an idea, go out and shoot it, and then take the feedback and adjust. I also think it's interesting to see how Jeff's been recognized for his efforts in categories at the East Coast Music Awards, where he was competing with television and radio stations. It goes to show that today, just a single person on YouTube can play with the big players, and I think that's something that we need to remind ourselves of. So are you looking to make internet videos? If so, did you start? If not, what's holding you back? Go on the website at HiredByPassion.com and join the private Facebook group so we can chat about it. Thanks for listening, and I hope I'll chat with you soon. Thanks for listening to the Hired by Passion podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review on iTunes. 